Oftentimes, well, a pastor will start with a nice, you know, funny story or intro joke. I don't have any funny sexual immorality quips to, to hook you into the sermon. So we're just going to dive into God's word, all right? You know, when church is a dumpster fire, we're in 1 Corinthians. It's going to be in chapter 6. I'm going to pick it up in verse 13. So if you're in your own Bible, but as always, it'll be on the screen. So please follow along as I read. This is 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both with one another. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right. If you're my age, this morning we're, we're going to get our salt and pepper on and let's talk about, you know, our salt and pepper, you know. They didn't use the word sexual immorality, but if you know R&B from the 90s, they was all in that area, all right? So as we're going to dive in and talk about some of you, this is going to be your favorite sermon ever, the application for married folks. It's right there. Do not deprive one another. That means what you think it means, all right? So for married folks, this may be your favorite sermon ever, but let's be honest. I don't know if you're following along as I read. Those are uh, some countercultural views of sexuality. And man, that may be offensive. As you read some of these things, that may sound dangerous and outdated. But I think when you understand what Paul is unpacking in a theology of sex, and a theology of our bodies, this is actually wonderfully empowering and beautiful when you begin to unpack, you know, this God's theology for our bodies. So I'm excited to dive in, but you see here, I don't know if you caught it, there are two significant errors that we need to cover, right? There's the cultural view of this damaging view of just kind of unrestrained sex, like go ahead, and they were having, you got into prostitution, and there is clearly that cultural view of just, as 
it was in the kind of last week's passage, all things are lawful. Any sex is okay. But then you kind of saw the church's response in there. So we see damaging sex, and then the church responds by just a denial of sex and sexuality. Both are wrong and dangerous. So let's start with kind of this cultural view that Paul was unpacking, and he kind of gets there. You see the logic of how they got to this place of just kind of unrestrained, kind of limitless sex that they were a part of. See, that food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. That was kind of the thinking and the logic that Paul is counteracting that was going on in this church. So you see the quotes there. That is the translators tipping you off that that was something that the Corinthians were saying. This is the logic they were using to pursue sexual immorality. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food, and God will destroy both. So what was their view towards sex? This is just a natural craving. It's a natural appetite. Just like food, right? They were, that's how, that's the, the comparison they were using. You would never say as Christians we should not eat Gosh, that's unnatural and dangerous. So how dare we say we should not have sex? It's like food. It's just a natural desire. You see their kind of line of thinking, how they got here towards the sexual immorality that was going on in the church. One, it's just a natural desire. But what's the other thing? God will destroy both one and the other. Food, the stomach, basically it's a natural desire and there's no real consequence. Like, what does it really matter with I do, what, what we do with our bodies? And that's what Paul is counteracting. And again, remember kind of from the last passage, all things are lawful. So that was this view that was creeping its way from culture into the church that sex is just a natural desire. It doesn't matter whatever your appetite is, for what, for who, it doesn't matter. It's just natural and there's no real consequences. That's what was going on in Corinth and every other city throughout all time, right? Don't you hear some of this similar logic today? Right? Oh, no, but I have this craving. It's just natural. And why wouldn't I not indulge in this appetite? It is my body. What business is it of yours? Why do you care what I do with my body? It's my body. I understand that. As a guy, I'm not telling you, I can't make you do anything with your body, but why do I care? Because I care. I mean, I have to, we have to agree that um, so much damage can be done from an unhealthy view of sex. I mean, almost everybody in this room probably has been harmed by dangerous practices or dangerous views towards sex. And so... Man, wouldn't it be the most loving thing to do to warn people about that? To warn them of the dangers of an unhealthy view towards sexual immorality. So for them, it was getting into, they got so far that, man, it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want, what I want with my body. They were getting into prostitution. I mean, there was ice fishing, prostitution. It was all kind of chaos was going on. Right? So, so we see that. And how often, right? We see the dangers 
And we have to be honest and see there are dangers of an unhealthy view towards sex. And then what does the church do? So that's the cultural, just unrestrained, natural appetite. Doesn't matter. All things are lawful. Whatever you crave from whoever, indulge. So then what does the church do? We swing the pendulum to completely the other end. So again, you see the quotes now concerning the matters which you wrote. So Paul's interacting with the church. So the church sees this damaging, you know, view of sex and sexual immorality. So they go towards, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So they see damaging, and then they go to an utter denial and say, okay, sex must be bad. If you're really spiritual, you don't have it, you don't want to have it. Unless you have kids, then maybe, all right, well, my parents had four kids, so it had to be at least four times. But other than that... I mean, how many people were raised in churches, right, where it was a dirty thing? Kind of a thing, oh, everybody craves and desires, but don't crave it too much because it's dirty and it's gross. That's just worldly. So we go towards, if we want to be real spiritual, then we just, we don't have it. Unless you want to have kids, and then I guess you have to do it a couple times. I think so often, right, this cultural view of unrestrained sex to denial. And both are dangerous. And Paul is arguing against both here. You see, both problems of just license and just a denial of super spirituality without it. Now, this is going to be really hard to follow Paul's line of thinking, but I think this is kind of where we should fall. Sex is good, sexual immorality is bad. It's complex, right? But that's so often we swing the pendulum that way. So Paul is laying out a theology of sex where, look at God's creation, right? If you remember, if you've ever heard the, gener- the Genesis account, he created this, and when he say, it is good, he created this, it is good. Marriage, sex, is a creation of God, and he says, it is good. It's a holy, sacred act. It's good. We don't need to reject that. But we do need to reject sexual immorality and going outside of that. I think one of the most helpful illustrations, I just heard it again, I've heard it before. It's like fire, right? Fire used appropriately is wonderful. It serves a great purpose. We enjoy it. But now if you take fire unrestrained with no boundaries, it can be unbelievably dangerous and harmful. Right? So fireplace. It's wonderful. It's good. Makes you feel warm. It's nice. A fire in a fireplace, confined to the right limits and boundaries, is a wonderful thing. You take that fire outside of those boundaries and just feed that fire, that's a bad thing. I know this is hard to follow, right? Good? Bad. Limits, good. Outside of boundaries, bad, right? That's exactly how we need to view sex. If we don't have the proper boundaries and confines, it becomes an unbelievably destructive, dangerous force. Within the confines, it's a wonderful, beautiful, purposeful gift. But we have to respect those confines, about 10 years ago, I don't know if you still know the show Biggest Loser, but 10 years ago, it was a really big weight loss show. One of the instructors, I want to 
give you a quote. He wrote a book on how to be physically healthy, right? If you want to be physically healthy, this is what Bob Harper, one of the trainers from that show said. Our external environment no longer seems to have any firm boundaries, any limits, or any positive clues about when to stop consuming anything. So clear, right? If you want to be physically healthy, man, we live in a world of indulgence. It's hard. We need to have limits if we want to be healthy. Bob Harper famously kind of came out of the closet on the show and his sexuality. And I just wanted to, I would love to sit down and talk to Bob Harper and ask him this question. Okay, so if this applies to our physical health, that if you don't have limits, it's very unhealthy and dangerous, don't you think it applies to all of life? Don't you think that same principle applies even to how we view sex? We live in a world with no firm boundaries, no limits, and no positive clues about when to stop consuming. That is so clear. Our culture and their view of sex. It's indulgent and there are no boundaries. But do you see the danger of that? So here's the thing. I think all of us agree any appetite without limits is dangerous. So you have to have some boundaries. Here's the million-dollar question. Who gets to determine the boundaries? Everybody would say there's boundaries. I mean, sex should be consensual, right? Everybody would draw that boundary. It is dangerous if it's not consensual. It, consensual. it is, has to be adults. We'd, we all say there's got to be that boundary or it's dangerous. But the question I want us to wrestle with is, but who gets to determine where exactly those boundaries go? Any conversation you have about this, it's mostly, well, I don't think, or that doesn't seem right, or that doesn't make sense to me. Is what seems right to me a good paradigm of where those boundaries go? It's arbitrary. You have to understand if you were born 30 years before, what seemed right to you would be completely different. If you happen to be born in another country, where you would draw those limits of when and how much sex is appropriate would be completely different. And so for us to just say, oh, that's what seems right to me, I don't think it's a healthy way to draw those boundaries. We're too subjective. Some of you, Baker Mayfield still seems like a Pro Bowl quarterback. You don't think straight, right? Like we're, We don't have a clear objective view of reality. So the question is, okay, we know there has to be limits. Maybe the God who created us should be able to define what those limits are, and that's what he is doing here. He's defining the limits that God has laid out for us. And I really like that he kind of builds his case for it. He doesn't just say, again, you know, sex is bad. Stop doing it and do it as little as you can. No, he understands the positive, you know, a positive view towards sex and then helps us get there. Because some of that, as we talk about sexual immorality, if it's not prostitution for you, it is any 
And I'll just define that word biblically for sexual immorality. If you are sleeping with somebody that you are not in a biblical covenant between husband and wife, that's the boundary God sets. Anything outside of that, the Bible defines as sexual immorality. But he helps us get there and understands, look, if you are a Christian, and he was kind of laying this out first, and again, this is God's ethic, and if you don't hold to that, I understand this is God's view. Some of you aren't there right now as it's laid out in the Bible, but See, look, if you, as a Christian, you are joined to Christ. And so when you partake in immorality, you're in some ways making Christ be a part of immorality. Do you see a problem with that? See, sex is uniquely unifying you, your whole body with another person. And if you're unified with Christ, he's saying, how are we okay with that? There's an old movie, it's Matt Damon and... Kinnear, they were, it's called Stuck on You. It's like conjoined twins. It was an old movie, remember that? I almost put a picture of it, but that, and like, in a sermon on sex was just a weird visual, you know, conjoined twins. So I didn't want to go there. But that's kind of the point he's making, right? If you're united with Christ, how are you okay with uniting your body with immorality? He's, that's when he says, never, it's not okay. See, Paul doesn't have a low view of our bodies and a low view of sex. He has an unbelievably high view. So that's where I want us to get when we kind of view what is God's take on this. See, the world is, there's no limits. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. Particularly, all of us are born in the image of God. And if you're a Christian... He says, the Spirit dwells within you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand your body is sacred. What you do with your body matters. And when we use it inappropriately, that causes damage to us and to other people. So this idea that, oh, you can just have casual sex is a lie from culture. It matters what you do with your body. Your body is sacred. Sex is a sacred act that God has given us. And how are we okay? So if that is true, that I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, how am I okay with watching pornography and being a and Essentially, in some ways, that's where Paul can't even wrap his head around making Christ be a part of that because I am a member of him. So once you know it matters, and your body is sacred. And I'm just, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm trying to save people from the damage that comes from stepping outside of God's boundaries. But even more than that, like he gives us motivation to understand how important your body is to God. The consequences matter. But ultimately, the thing I take out of this is he's also helping us see what is the purpose for sex. As you saw this kind of out of the gate, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You see that it's what it's meant for. That's a purpose statement. He's unpacking what is the purpose. And even here when he says body, sometimes in the Bible it'll use the word flesh, and that's kind of this idea of the fallen side of us as humans. But that's not the word he says here. The word is body. 
And we can't separate. I mean, you talk about Ukraine. We don't just pray and hope those people are going to heaven. When people are being bombed and bodies are being hurt, that matters to us. Because our bodies matter. We are embodied souls. We can't separate the spiritual and the physical too much. That's not a biblical worldview. So what is the purpose of your body? What is the purpose for God's design of sex? Well, they're all connected. Is it for your pleasure? That's the worldly view. It's what can give me pleasure. That's the point of sex. That is not the biblical purpose for your life, for your body, for your sexuality and how you live that out. The purpose isn't to consume. It's not about being selfish and me using somebody else's body to bring me pleasure. The point is to be selfless, to bless. It's to show love within the right confines. It's not selfish, it's selfless. The point is to glorify God. By the way, I love him through loving others in the right confines with my body. I love this quote from a commentator on this passage. Our individual bodies do not belong to us alone in a selfish, self-centered way. Rather, they belong to Christ, purchased by him through redemption and now indwelt by the Spirit, so as to be God's own sanctuary. The purpose of your body is the same purpose of your life, to glorify God and to love and bless others, not to selfishly pursue pleasure. And let me say this, because I kind of paint God's boundaries. And I won't make up a statistic, but let's just say most people in this room have stepped outside of those boundaries of God's design. Please hear this sermon as God's design in a call for you to experience God's best for you, not as a time to just condemn and make you feel guilty. Because all of us in some way have been damaged by this, and most of us, I'm sure, have stepped into sexual immorality in one form or another. But again, part of your purpose, whose body or, you know, who has rights to your body? If you're a Christian, I can't say my body's my own. This passage says, God has ultimate rights of my body. He purchased me by his blood. And I want you to know, if you're feeling, again, that's, I think, an overreaction. Yes, Stepping outside of that, I would say, is sinful, it's wrong. But I want you to know, if you've done that, you're not damaged, you're not dirty, you're not unable to be used by God. When he purchased you, he cleansed you from all of our unrighteousness. He cleansed you and sees you as pure and holy if we accept Christ. So I just want you to know that. Don't go to a place of guilt. Oh, that means I'm dirty. If you give your life to Christ, it does not. You have been cleansed. And because he purchased you and because he cleansed you, because you are his, now glorify God with your body. Use your body now to honor him. So what does that look like? I mean, there were a couple of just clear applications in there, clear commands. Because again, you can't separate. You can't say, I'm a Christian and live however I want. That's not an option on the table. If you want to identify as Christ, then you need to allow him to be the Lord of your life and your sex life. So what does he say? Well, I'll go the two easy categories. So for unmarried folks, it says flee sexual immorality. 
They said, these are God's boundaries. To step outside of them will hurt you and hurt others. So don't mess around with it. Flee. Some of the other translations say, run from sexual immorality. The problem is, in most of your translations you wanted to say is, flirt with sexual immorality. It doesn't say flirt with sexual immorality. It says flee sexual immorality. So how often am I in conversation, you know, I mean, our past is college ministry. One of the questions, anytime you're talking about these boundaries, the question starts going, well, okay, well, what is okay? How far can I get before, you know? So if above the shirt, below the shirt, what are we talking here? Like, I, I, if your plan is to honor God with your body, your plan is I'm going to sprint to the cliff and stop and hope I don't fall over. That's a stupid plan. Flee sexual morality. Don't be naive. What? Friends listen to endless love in the dark. You know, it'll be fine. Oh no, I'll just I'll just I'll just peruse the internet at 1 a.m. and hope I don't stumble into anything bad. If it is your goal, and this is where it gets tricky, right? If you've been in one of those cultures where it is dirty, you know, they all the things before sexual morality become kind of legalistic. And I don't want to do that, right? Have you ever heard the joke, Baptists, why don't they allow premarital sex? They're afraid it'll lead to dancing, right? You get all backwards with all the things. Okay, the goal is to avoid sexual immorality. But if I want to avoid that, then I want to flee it. Now, I don't want to be legalistic of all these other things are wrong, but I do want you, for your own sake... To be as strict as you can. If something's going to send you down a bad road, if you're trying to avoid that, maybe you shouldn't get tipsy and go to the club. You're probably going to start heading down a bad road. I got to that point where I wanted to be as strict as I could. Listen, particularly, again, if you're unmarried, be as strict as you can. Flee it. Stop trying to flirt with it. Flee it. And avoid what's going to send you down a bad road. Because, look, if you break up with that person, you won't regret you didn't go far enough. You won't regret, man, I wish I'd have got a little further with that other dude's wife. If you end up getting married, you're not going to regret, man, I wish I wouldn't have waited. So be as strict as you can be on yourself and acknowledge, I love the Bible is real about this. It talked about self-control. You never can use self lack of self-control as an excuse to sin. He's calling them to stay within the boundaries. But I love that it's real. He understands our craving and desires are very strong. So don't allow your lack of self-control to be excuse for sin, but to be honest about it. And to understand your limits with that and be as strict as you can to flee from sexual immorality. And last, kind of where he goes at the end, so if you are married, it's not super spiritual to avoid it. The point to glorify God with your bodies he says not to deprive one another. If you are married, the expectation is, again, I say this in my vows, right? To give unto you all the duties that a husband owes his wife. Part of that is, the expectation is, inside of marriage, to be having a healthy sex life. Part of that means, it's happening. I'm not getting into exact frequency, but it should happen. <laughs> right? And again, that's where you get into purpose. So is the purpose, and let me caveat this. You know, when it gets in, that can get a little scary. A husband has rights over your body. Listen, men. Men in particular, and it applies to everybody. 
Don't you dare come out of this and use this to demand your wife to do from you want. This isn't demanding rights from somebody else. This is giving your rights to another. Right? So don't use this to now abuse your spouse to demand what you want. That's Paul, again, his ethic in glorifying God is laying down our rights and giving our bodies to another. That's the point. Not so now you can demand what you want. And I love, this is where it was radically empowering. He doesn't just say it to the man. He says it's both. So to the wife, it was an unbelievably, particularly this time, empowering thing to say, your husband's body, he does not have rights to himself, but you do. Wildly empowering. So don't abuse it to demand what you can get what you want. Give of your life to another. And don't even, I love that the weird, it seemed like a weird caveat. You know, you can stop, but only to devote yourself to prayer. So again, I want to warn you for your spouses, that's not now the excuse you can use. Like, oh, do you have a headache? No, I'm devoting myself to prayer. So we're not. Don't even try that either. The point is, in your marriage, are you concerned about getting what you want, when you want it, how you want it? Again, self-centered. Or in your marriage, to be having a healthy sex life is... How can I love and serve you? It's not just about making sure you can get yours. If your wife wants to cuddle, your, your body's hers. Then you cuddle. If she wants you to shave that nasty beard, shave that nasty beard. Like the, the point of your body is for another. It's not selfishly to get what you want. And I know some of you might not be there yet. I'm sure in marriage this is... I mean, right, it's one of the biggest tension points in all marriage. And, man, I, I want, again, don't deprive each other. I want to move towards you know, a healthy sex life in all your marriages. But if you're not there yet, maybe you just start with a conversation. Let them know that you want to get there. And maybe that conversation is, man, okay, I want to do this. I want to give of myself to you in a way to love and bless you. Is there any way I can do that better? Or start kind of getting back on that road to a healthy sex life because that is what God's design is. Not so you can be served, but you can bless and serve your spouse. Sex is a wonderful thing, a sacred thing. Your body is sacred. And I want you to enjoy God's good creation, but within his limits. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I do thank you for your word. God, I know particularly in our culture, God, there are so many different views and so many unhelpful roads that we could head down. Father, for all the bad roads we did head down, Father, would you just by your spirit remind us that you purchased us, you cleansed us, we are forgiven. And in that, we are yours. So God, help us to live our lives, all of our lives with our bodies in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.